Hi, I'm Stathis, your host. Before we jump in this episode, let me introduce DevRelX. DevRelX is a hub for developer marketing and DevRel professionals. Stay home while DevRelX brings you rich content to boost your DevRel game. Access developer population insights, news, job openings, and more. Discover how to empower developers and grow communities at devrelx.com. Today's episode will start with a quote from our guest. Yeah, first thing you need to build day one, this is why you hire the content person, is your portal. Your portal is your lifeblood. Hello, welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, our Slash Data podcast. I'm Stathis Yorgakopoulos, your host. We've talked about how this podcast is based on our book, Developer Marketing and Relations, The Essential Guide. In time, we'll get all authors to join us in this podcast. It's a totally different experience between reading a chapter and talking to a person, having them share their stories. And I think it's great that we can accommodate both readers and listeners. Today, we have a guest who is the only one in the history of two books that has contributed a chapter to both. Bookworms might already know who I'm talking about, but it's no other than Luke Kilpatrick. Luke, welcome to the show. Thank you. Will you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes. Uh, so my name is Luke Kilpatrick. I've been in the tech industry for pretty much most of my career. I started off as a graphic artist and then taught myself how to code and became a web developer. And then about eight, nine years ago, I uh, moved into marketing and doing marketing to developers. And it was kind of nice because it was basically marketing to myself. And from that, I've worked for VMware, worked for Sentia, I've worked for Atlassian, and now I'm currently uh, running DevOps marketing for Nutanix as a senior manager. And uh, I run a small team of four uh, really cool people that do great work. The chapters that I've contributed to the book, uh, one was uh, with my time at Atlassian about how we built a, a great event called App Week by going into more smaller intimate events to be able to get stuff done. And then my chapter about uh, what I've done at Nutanix is basically starting a developer marketing organization from scratch in a company that had never marketed to developers before. So, you know, I've had some different experiences from both building from scratch, uh, coming into established and uh, revitalizing old programs. So it's, it's been interesting to see how each program is different and what we can learn from each of those. To building a developer program from scratch sounds like a huge challenge and um, thank you that you're here for us today to, to discuss that. But um, how, how did you end up in your uh, current role in uh, Nutanix and uh, starting off as a graphic designer? I think you're the first guest that started as a graphic designer. Uh, most have a more uh, code-oriented you know, uh, background. Was there a role model or a driving force that uh, led you to tech and where you are today? Uh- so, you know, if, if people that know me well be no surprise that uh, I originally wanted to be a marine biologist growing up, but then I found out how much marine biologists make and um, that didn't work. So I, kept, I went into computers and um, I actually started up two of the first internet cafes in Canada back in uh, uh, 1996. So I've been doing this a long time. And I went to school for a program called Digital Media Technical Production. And that uh, program actually was a very broad-based program that taught everything from code to video editing, 3D animation, graphic design, a very, very broad-based program. So because of that, 
I had uh, a very wide kind of jack of all trades to start out with. And uh, my first job out of college was actually, I got hired right after September 11th, uh, 2001, uh, was for a small 14-person telescope company in Rockford, Illinois. And from there, I was hired as a graphic artist and tech writer. I wrote a lot of manuals for their telescopes and uh, for their mounts and stuff. And I also did uh, level three tech support and ran the phones. And um, it was a 14-person company, so you kind of got to do everything from running a lathe to uh, packing boxes uh, to painting the observatory. So it was a really good first experience. And from having that jack-of-all-trades attitude is, has suited me well through the career, so that any time that I needed to learn something, I basically just went and either got a book or got the videos online or found a mentor and went and learned it and then applied it to my career. So and that's how I taught myself PHP and full fusion and then worked, you know, for about eight years um, developing software for a lot of different companies. So it's, it's a, it was an interesting way to, to do there, but it's always been general belief. And I think this is shared by a lot of us in our community is um, if you don't know something, you go and learn it so that you can do it. And a lot of times the easiest way to learn something is actually have to teach it to somebody. And by having to teach it to somebody kind of forces you to really learn the material. And so I've kind of worked from that way. Yeah, that's great. And um, sorry to hear about your uh, marine biologist uh, dreams. Oh, I, I, if, if, if you, you're not familiar with my Instagram, if you check out my Instagram, uh, Luke Kilpat, it's, it's all full of uh, underwater photography. I dive probably, on a good week, I dive twice a week. We have a great marine life here in California down in Monterey. And uh, I take lots of pictures of it. And um, I get to do it on the side as a hobby. And uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Someone say, but that's even better because you, it's not work. It's um, only a hobby. So you enjoy it the most. Mm -hmm. What yeah. was a habit that you picked up during the time that you dreamed of working as a marine biologist that you still carry to work today? It's the general curiosity of the world. The main driving force of why I wanted to be a marine biologist was that I wanted to see and learn everything that was out there. And, you know, our planet's 70% covered by water. So I wanted to see what was in the other 70% that I couldn't see on the surface. I, I've, I've had a very good year. Last year, I did over 100 dives um, around the world. So I got to see a lot of that. And so that, that curiosity of learning new things and experiencing new things is a, is a big factor. And it's, it's been very, uh, um, very good. That's great to hear. And um, I'm sure marketing community is really happy that you put this curiosity towards tech and um, ended up in developer marketing. So what do you love most about working with developer marketing? So it's been really, it's been a long road, but uh, it's the, one of the dreams I've had ever since I was even at VMware 10 years ago has been to have my own small team of experts that we can kind of sit down and figure out what we think is going to be the best way to help get people into our community or help people get uh, the knowledge they need to be better in their careers. And, you know, developer marketing in a lot of ways is different than regular marketing because the way that developer marketing works, um, in my experience, is that you have to do two things. One is you have to give people the reason why they want to learn something and the tools to learn it. The other thing you have to do is kind of sell cool, which is, which I know selling cool to developers sounds a little weird, 
but most developers don't have control of a budget to be able to pick their own tools. They don't have control of that. Now this is changing, but it's the ability to show or sh show off a new technology that would get a developer or an ops person to say, hey, that's cool, I wanna learn about that. And you know, that's the main selling function uh, because you know what, developers don't care if it, it's gonna make the company money, they don't care if the, it's gonna save the company money. They care if it's gonna make their lives better and if it's gonna work better than what they're using before. And that's, that's a different way of selling uh, than traditional uh, IT and enterprise sale. Yeah, that's true, it's, it's come up numerous times. Uh, what you just said, but I, I really like what you say about making it sound cool because it, yeah, it's something they they want to to be intrigued by and uh, also you know help them solve their problems. Uh, you talked about having you know a team of experts. You together would do um, all these nice things. Mm -hmm. Is isn't this challenge you know surrounding yourself by and selecting the team or uh, what has been the biggest challenge you faced in developer marketing? Uh, the biggest challenge I've faced is just mostly has been getting the headcount to fill out the team. I've got a, a team that I think is really important. When, you, when you're starting out as a developer relations org, and this is, this is one of the key startups, you know, I was a team of one for Nutanix for about two months, almost three. Um, and that's really hard because you're doing everything. So my first thing I, I hired, and I think it's critical, is hiring a writer or content person. Because without your content person, you got nothing to show. So I got very lucky in that there was a sales engineer in uh, Nutanix that had a reputation for loving to write tutorials. And through the grapevine, I found uh, him. And a lot of times when people are not doing what they love, uh, they're not perfectly happy in their current role. So with a little bit of finagling and a little bit of politicking, I was able to transfer him over to my team. Um, so that's if there's if you're coming into a new company, I really think it's important to try and make your first hire internal. Um, if you're bringing someone onto your team, I think that's really critical because you need someone that knows the lay of the land, that knows the technologies, already got, has that established cred as an expert. And that should be really, if you're coming in as a manager, um, if you're not already a part of the community already, that's critical because you need someone that's going to give you sort of the street cred. Um, both internally and externally uh, to develop your content. So that was, that was how I kind of started up uh, with Nutanix. So I, I, I've got my, I got my content guy. Uh, we produced some great labs together. And then we completely revamped our uh, developer portal together. And that was a, a big job. Um, Nutanix.dev now is, uh, in my opinion, one of the better developer portals out there. And we actually just got some survey data where they evaluated our content versus a whole lot of others. Um, especially the big three uh, cloud providers, and a lot of in in several areas, uh, we are higher higher rated than theirs. So that makes me pretty proud. Um, it's it's been a about yeah, eight, definitely about almost, should be. Yeah, it's been eighteen months worth of work, and uh, it's showing it's paying off. After getting your um, so I've got my content guy, and it's just me. So I'm actually fulfilling the role of the evangelist, um, and my content guy is actually backing me up, is doing a lot of the code work and programming for the site. But after a while, um, I spent over 100 days on the road last year because of not having an evangelist. So that was basically me. Um, and it, uh, I was able to bring on uh, three more people. Um, I brought on a marketing specialist, someone to handle the email lists, um, who also happens to be a researcher. So uh, I, I got lucky in doubling up on that role. Um, and then 
after your content person, I really believe the second hire should be an evangelist. Uh, you need an evangelist because if you're the leader and you're having to be traveling and all the time, you don't have any time to be actually um, defending and uh, promoting your team internally because you're out on the road all the time. So now I've, I, I was able to also bring that in from an internal person. Um, and chances are, if you're coming into a company and the company's big enough, any more than 500 people, you should be able to do, you know, getting your key senior people internal, I think is really, really a good move. And they'll make themselves known, uh, which is which is good, at least I, I've found. And so I was able to bring on an evangelist and a programmer at the same time. Um, so I've got, I've got th three men and one woman on my team. And I have an evangelist, a programmer, a researcher, and a content person. And I feel like my team, is, at least at the moment, is very well fleshed out. I, I've got someone that can build uh, the tutorials, but also build other platforms and other things that we need to go with. Um, and I've got someone that's the face of our organization out telling the world of how great we are. So, you know, getting to that point where you have like a four or five person org um, is a really good start. And that's, that's been the biggest challenge um, over the last, uh, over the last year and a half is, is been getting those people into the right roles and getting the right people in the right roles. I've been very fortunate that um, I've been able to build the team myself and do all the hiring myself rather than having to inherit a team, um, which is a different problem. Because um, sometimes when you inherited a team, some people are not always the best performers and some people are really great, but you just don't gel with. So that's, those are some of the, the headwinds you can hit uh, when starting up. You know what they say, uh, players win games and uh, teams win championships. So it seems like you, you built a great team that also uh, win. Well, they're not championships in um, you know, the, this field, but um, really, really good results uh, against the biggest cloud providers. So uh, it's great. I, I would actually argue a little bit that there is, I, I would actually argue that there is a little bit of championships in this, in this world. Um, I would say that some of the bigger, bigger developer relations conferences like uh, Future Developer um, and uh, DevRelCon, um, you know, getting asked to be speak, uh, getting asked to speak at those, you know, and getting your talks accepted and being able to share what you know, or getting asked to be part of the, uh, uh, developer essentials guide in some ways those I think are the championships and uh, being able to be part of those you know is kind of winning so so Definitely and, and those are nice accolades to get um, when you get them because means you're doing something right yeah that's great and um, you know for us in uh, future developer we we always uh, you know try to get you to speak with us because uh, we're really like what you have to share and, um, and you sharing your experience um, with everyone it really helps everyone uh, be better so we it, also it, thank you for that yeah it's 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 very odd now when i used to do you know when i was doing stuff with sencha back in uh 2013 2014 i i always felt like i was the new kid on the block and you know i was so impressed even to get to go to these conferences and now that I've been doing this for almost 10 years uh, since VMware, um, it's, it's a real different feeling to be one of the old timers. And now I've, I've, I've generally, I'm not going to say that I've made enough, I've, I've had enough success to get picked. I've actually, um, it's more of that I've had enough failures to share with everybody so I can kind of give people, hey, don't do this, which tends to be much more engaging talks. And look at me, I did great. It's like, oh no, we did this event. and. 
oh my God, it was bad. And those have been much more um, engaging talks. And I included that in my chapters of, you know, more of where things bombed because um, you learn from it better than, than the successes. Yeah, and this is something we also value because it's, uh, it's a lot easier, you know, to say uh, you better do this and this and this and you'll probably be all right. But it's, I think it's much more effective, especially for a new guy in the field to say, uh, don't do this because it won't go well and try to avoid this and that, which helps them, you know, divert the, the focus to things that can actually make a change and um, save the time from common mishaps. So uh, before you get to the championship, most people uh, need to start somewhere. So to start building uh, a developer program from scratch. How, for the companies that want to do that, where do they start? The number one thing I think you need to start is if you're going to get hired to build, a, build a, one from scratch, you really need VP level or above executive sponsorship. If you do not have a VP or above wanting a developer marketing program, don't take the job. I'll just flat out say that. You just you need that high-level sponsorship of the program um, because you're going to be spending a lot of money that's not directly tied to sales. And it's hard to tie back to sales um, for sometimes years. So that's, that's the number one thing I think. Um, you know, I got very lucky with um, Nutanix. We have a VP of corporate marketing who is a phenomenal woman uh, named Julie O'Brien who really believed in the program. Um, it was backed by the CEO. Um, and also it was originally the, the, the uh, team was started by uh, a guy named uh, Jason, who was our director. And uh, he, he hired me. And then uh, Jason Langoni hired me. And then uh, he went back to sales after and kind of left me as a team on my own. And if I hadn't had that executive leadership and buy-in, they might have just rolled up the whole, uh, the whole team when he went when he left. So uh, instead, it uh, opened me up to basically run with it and build it exactly how I thought it should be built, and uh, it uh, it's turned out to be the right thing. But that's uh, really having that mentorship from the VP level is is critical because without it, you're you're going to be fighting um, you're going to be fighting city hall the whole time, and uh, that makes it very hard. Yeah, it definitely helps. And um, st building a developer program from scratch is something that uh, I'd say really needs to take its time because there are a lot of things to be put in place. And um, you need to have someone who supports you so that you can also get the budget and the time you need before you start bringing results. So uh, you have your team, you build your team, which is, um, as you said, it, and I'm just summarizing, you have someone for your content, someone for your marketing, an evangelist and a programmer. And uh, you also have the, the, the support from uh, senior level and VP level uh, sponsors, as you said. Yep. Uh, how do you start? What, what should be your, your first channel? Let's say. Your first, the first thing your you need focus. to build, yeah, the first thing you need to build day one, this is why you hire the content person, is your portal. Your portal is your lifeblood. You know, it, it's it, without a good developer portal, developer dot whatever your company name is dot com, or I've been really liking using company name dot dev. Uh, 
it's the dot dev uh, domain is I think a really great one um, because it's reasonably inclusive. Um, you know, dev is applies to developers, ops. It's anybody that touches code uh, understands dot dev, and it's worked really well for us. So I really encourage people to get those dot dev domains. It's your portal is where you need to start building your content. Your first thing you're going to need, and you're going to talk to engineering about that, is hopefully, you know, the whole reason to have a developer program is that you have an API for your products. And if you don't have an API for your products, um, you don't really need developers to work with them. Um, you need a bunch of configurers, not developers. So first and foremost, you need to know where, the, where that lives. So the first thing, that's your first thing you need to get at the portal. Um, and a lot of times the API docs are in, in um, uh, Swagger files, if you're lucky, uh, other formats if you're not, and you need to be able to get those um, available and public and searchable in a good fashion with good code samples. That should be your absolute priority because without that API reference guide, um, no one can code. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing I usually try and get done after getting a proper API documentation set up is uh, getting a couple apps, uh, getting some tutorials up because you need to show people how to use the API. And if, you know, here's an API, go have fun, um, doesn't really speak to having that need of developers to kind of start it up. So that next step is uh, some good tutorials. And then once those tutorials are written, really highly recommend getting a code sample library. And this is where you start to reach out to the support team in your company, the professional services team in your company, uh, uh, sales engineers. And what you're trying to do is get as much public code samples where they've written or done stuff uh, to either automate or script or whatever using your API and get that into a public form with a whole bunch of, you know, you can get the legalese around it and wrappered. But the idea is, is especially with, with us being into a more of an operator's world rather than a developer's world, a lot of our operators will take our code samples, make, you know, they know enough code to make a few modifications, and then they can go solve their problem. So solid code samples, good tutorials, and uh, your API docs are really key. And then after, and hopefully, or during, ideally, uh, you want to have a blog. And that blog is where you make your announcements and kind of gives you that, uh, that feel. And then after, if you've got the personnel and things, uh, getting into some sort of community forums where people can kind of discuss and talk about your, uh, your products to get help. And uh, ideally, you'd, you'd do that in conjunction with your support team to um, be able to jump in and help with their APIs is your portal is a lot of ways the lifeblood of your developer program. Um, and if you don't have that, you're not going to get much else. Totally agree there. I think it's uh, the best. It's the first thing you need to do. It's where you, you don't need the developer program as just said, if you're not um, referring to developers and how, how to help them, you need to have the documentation, you need to have the code library and uh, the tutorials to help them. As we said before, make their work a lot easier. So you build your portal and it's um, you know, ready. You've, done, you've prepared it in the best way you can. And um, next step are, is, for example, going to events a priority. Next step, I actually recommend trying to piggyback off of existing events. 
you know, chances are your sales team is already trying to do some events. You're doing meetups, you're doing uh, other activities. Usually by the time a company needs or wants to develop a marketing thing, unless it's a real key part, uh, like you were talking a small startup where like, uh, for example, like a Twilio or Contentful, where you really need developers to even use the product. But if it's, it's more conventional, like a VMware or a Salesforce or something where your developers are kind of, you know, the second thing after the product, it's, it's more of getting that customizations and configurations of a product. Chances are you're already having a series of events out there. So uh, this is where you'd either get your evangelist or yourself to um, start running labs uh, of the tutorials that you've had written at these events. Get people's hands dirty, get people using the product in a, the way that a developer does. That's and encouraging people to bring their developers to these events and give them reason to be there. And so that's the strategy that we take, we've taken. And uh, it's been very effective because it's, it's increasing our depth into the company. So uh, one of the big things that drives sales is how, how many people within the company know about you and like you. If there's nobody in the company that knows you and likes you, chances are you're not gonna make the sale. But if the developer knows about you, the operator knows about you, the manager knows about you, and they've been to an event and they've played with the stuff and they think it's cool, you know, they're eventually gonna buy. And that's if they see the value of your products. That's, that's kind of where I would go first is, is take advantage of as much inf existing infrastructure, especially when you're small. Uh, when you're small, you don't have an events person and you don't have enough um, bandwidth or enough cred within the community that exists for your products yet to start having your own events. So you're better to piggyback off of existing ones. And that's basically what we've done with Nutanix all the way through is We've tried to bring developers and more technical folks into the Nutanix events. Um, and this has been successful. We had a really good event in Anaheim last year and another good one in Copenhagen where we piggybacked off our .next conference. And uh, we had a day, a, a pre-day uh, we called .dev at .next. And uh, we had people, we did the morning was uh, lectures from uh, on various things such as Agile and DevOps and, and some roadmap discussion. And then the afternoon was basically all hands-on labs. So with the people that wrote the labs in the room, so all someone had to do was put their hand up to get help. And that's been, uh, that's been a really successful format for us. Um, and it's been much better than our hackathon. We, did, we attempted a hackathon in both uh, New Orleans and London in uh, 2018. And you'll have to read the book to uh, find out exactly how those went, but we'll just, you know, the, the short version is is not well. So there's my tease for the uh, for the book. Yeah, don't, don't spoil everything. Let them read because I, I really love. I'm sorry, I'm just uh, I'm interrupting you because um, what you're saying and having read your chapter is like uh, I really like how you what you're discussing now about the how the the events go and how uh, I like how you write it and how you can see and I could see as a reader the difference that each event made and why. So far, so good. Uh, we're looking at uh, a developer program, you know, that has a basis, has the has a portal, and um, it's solid. And uh, you're in the process of reaching out to through events and getting more people, more devs to to get to know you. How do you measure success at this point? Um. So we just kind of had our first real measure of success. Um, cost a fair bit of money but I'm glad we did it, was we actually um, 
basically hired a re- we hired a research firm to go and survey about 500, 400, 500 cloud developers to find out whether they knew about us. And if they knew about us, um, did they like us, what they thought of us, what they thought of our programs, uh, what their buying influences were. Uh, we went and got a whole bunch of data and we just first as a baseline um, and our baseline actually came back uh, surprising. We were more well known and uh, our portal rated higher against our competitions uh, than we expected. So we were pretty happy with that. But that's my plan is to run this survey probably once a year and hopefully increase off that baseline. Now there's other ways that we measure too. Uh, We help in our sales cycle. Uh, My evangelist jumps in on a lot of sales stuff. And when those deals close, we get credit for those. Event attendance and survey data back from events is also how we measure success. Uh, Traffic to our portal. um, You know, if you have an SDK, downloads to your SDK, we don't, but that's, those are pieces, um, accesses to our code sample. Basically we measure activity and the more, you know, and the idea that you want to be seeing is growth in your activity. And as long as your growth is going up into the right, chances are you're doing the right things. Um, if you start seeing growth dip and there's not, there's not an explainable reason for it. Uh, it's, it's a better, um, it's a pretty good measure. And, you know, it's, it's, it's measure, measure growth in your community growth in the sales. And then also one of the big things that you really need to do with developer relations is you want to be doing that internally too. You want to be marketing to your own engineers. You want to be marketing to your own support people. And that's another measure is how much internal traction are you getting? And you want to make sure you do that because if uh, that's my job actually as the team lead. My, the rest of the team is external facing. My job is actually to evangelize us within the company. And that's, uh, that's a really critical point and uh, something that, uh, that if you're not doing as a developer marketing or a developer relations team, um, you really should start. Sometimes you forget how important it is to, to advertise our work internally, but at least it's crucial because you want each company to work uh, all together to bring better results. It's also good, as you said, to, to advertise internally while uh, your team is working on uh, externally with developers. Looking back now and um, from the point when you uh, started to build the program and all the way to getting the results and um, actually being surprised at uh, how good these are, which I hope happens all all the time every year. Is there something that you would have approached differently? I would have done London a lot differently, but uh, um, you know, that's, that's in my book, at least for this one. Doing stuff differently is hard because you, you, you go with the best data that you have. I tend to not look back too much. Like I look back to say, okay, we won't do that again. But I don't try to, I don't really dive, you know, once we do the retro, we, we do that and go move on. So trying to, to figure that. Yeah, it's to do differently. I don't know, I'm pr- really pretty proud of how we've been able to do, do our stuff with Nutanix. It's there's there's not a whole lot I would do differently other than a few programs I would have wished I would have started up a little sooner or I wish I would have had the resources to run a little bit more. But there's not really a lot of stuff that's um, like, oh my God, we did this and it was the totally the wrong thing. We've, we've been pretty fortunate on that, that uh, we haven't. Um, now we're trying, you know, one of the big things I'm very glad that we did is that I've set up this team to be 100% remote from the beginning. 
Um, and that's paying huge dividends at the moment because, you know, we had a meeting on Tuesday last week and uh, they said, so how does this affect our team? Well, we're not doing events, but other than that, it's pretty much Tuesday. And, you know, that's a, uh, that's a nice place to be versus where I know a lot of the rest of the world is struggling right now. I really agree with what you just said, because if you look back and try and think, you know, who could do this thing differently, um, it's an endless cycle. So uh, it's more about uh, lessons learned, for example, not put so, so much focus on hackathon. But, uh, and also, what piece of advice can you offer to someone who, who's just starting to build a developer program, you know, now that you have all this retrospect? Pretty much the biggest thing is having an executive champion. I can't stress that enough. Um, if you have an executive champion that's willing to let you fail, you know, because there's, there's times where, you know, when we did London, I was worried about my job. I was a little worried about my job after that. And because, you know, we, we had a pretty massive failure. Um, if Anaheim would have failed, I probably would have been looking for new work. Um, you know, it's, it's getting an executive sponsor that's willing to let you fail once or twice. Um, you know, if you're failing more than twice, you really seriously need to evaluate what you're doing um, because you, you, there's obviously something that you're not doing on. And I'm talking like big things. If, if you have an event, nobody shows up. Okay. And two events that happens. That's the way it is. But when you have an event and then people show up and then it just, they don't have a good time and they don't enjoy it. Um, then you seriously need to be evaluating and possibly changing a lot of strategy. So that's, that's probably the biggest advice is make sure that you have somebody that's going to, you know, let you fail. Um, you want to fail fast and fail often, but um, you want to fail in a way that's, you know, acceptable and recoverable. And that's, that's a, that's a big thing. And I know, I know when we're doing future dev and stuff, one of the things is, I think it's, was it two successes and a failure to t tell your story? Um, yeah, exactly. You know, really thinking about those. Um, and when you're interviewing for a developer relations job, talk about both your successes and your failures. Um, failure is a big part of this, this world. Uh, development is mostly, you know, you test, test, test. And every time you test, it does, it shouldn't work, uh, until you've done absolutely everything. If, if it tests, if I ever write a piece of code and it works perfectly the first time, I really get scared because I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether or not, you know, cause you always miss a <laughs> semicomma or something or semicolon or, or something on there. And if you're not, you know, if it runs perfectly the first time, you've probably done goof somewhere else. And so that's always, I, I, I question success almost as much as I question failure. Luke, it's been great having you. These are a lot of insights, uh, especially in which is starting a developer program from scratch. So how can some of our listeners reach to you if they need more information from you? Uh, Twitter's a great reach out. I'm L. Kilpatrick on Twitter. Um, you can email me at uh, Nutanix, uh, Luke.Kilpatrick at Nutanix.com. And uh, yeah, those are probably the, the easiest channels to, to get me. If you want to look at my uh, scuba diving photography, my Instagram is uh, Luke Kilpat, uh, with just one L on the Kilpatrick. That's, that's the best way to, to get a hold of me. Um, always happy to answer questions and uh, help out and uh, see where things go. Well, uh, it's been great having you look uh, on the podcast. It's an episode I've been looking forward to for a long time. 
and I'll definitely check out your uh, under, underwater photos in, uh, <laughs> on Instagram. And uh, for our listeners, thank you for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. If you want to listen to other episodes, you can subscribe at developermarketingpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ for regular updates. Thank you, Luke. Thank you.